everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with the one and only newly verified Travis McElroy of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and a whole <laughs> slew of hello. other podcasts, professional podcaster. Yeah. Travis I, McElroy. I'm, I, I may be... If not the only one, one of few professional, like full time. It's the only thing I do. I think it's just you and me. Yeah, pretty much up top, right here. High fives for that. That was. And by the way, even though you guys are listening, we could have done a fake high five. That was real. That was a real high five. And I would say it was great. I felt. Yeah, I feel refreshed from it. Thank you. Um. Okay. So so much to get into. I'm I'm fascinated by the relationship that you have with your brothers, and I think that everyone who listens to your podcast is fascinated by that, yeah. probably. Um, in fact, I'm going to start out this show by dropping a name. Do you know Phil Rosenthal? Yes. How do I know that name? He created um, Everybody Loves Raymond, and he has that show, um, I'll Have What Phil's Having, which is a travel show, and okay. he's like, yes. a, done a, a bunch of stuff. Um, he was saying that he thinks that in any television project whether it's about a family or not but specifically like if it's not about a family the thing that makes people want to keep watching though or be engaged is that everything secretly is about a family like the the dynamics between oh gotcha 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 yeah but then here's your show and it really is featuring a family yeah, like a real we uh, that, like Swiss Family Robinson or the Von Trapps. Yes, that's that's what we call ourselves, the Von Trapps <laughs> of podcasting. So we always just, always describe it. And for a while, uh, when we first started out, I couldn't tell if people were asking it ironically, but I think that more than once people were being sincere and they asked like, "How'd you guys meet?" <laughs> Well, um, we came out of our mother's uterus, and uh, it really connected us in that mm-hmm. way. But it, it's it's a really kind of winding road to get to the relationship that my brothers and i have now um so I, how far back do you want me to start do, well i would like you know what first let's do okay. this though because this will be fun but then i want to get into the winding road that brought you to now okay you guys all together and separately are involved in so many podcasts yes. and i was gonna make a list of all of them and then i was gonna say the name and then i was gonna have you tell me like the first word that pops into your head. Mm-hmm. But then a third of the way in, I was like, there's just too many. There's, we do a so, lot. Yeah, there's just too many to include all the non-Travis ones. So I've included, I think, like one main non-Travis one, yes. but the rest are you. Fair so enough. this, uh, I'm half-assing this with that before <laughs> I've even started. Okay, let's so it. let's just do it. And you can just either say like a word that you think describes it or the first word that pops into your head like i said i'm half-assing this so mm-hmm. it's really up to you how you want to handle it my brother my brother and me um am i i'm allowed you to can curse? Say more than, can yeah, I curse yeah okay um sincere bullshit would be the best way to describe it nice. that's kind of our mo with that show yeah because you guys it's an advice podcast advice yeah. for the modern age and like we from like the word go we're like this isn't advice it's not based on anything like we don't really have credentials or any qualifications but like every so often we'll kind of accidentally veer into like whoa that might have actually been good actionable advice but all in all we just tell people not to do any of it (laughs) because it's hard to tell what of it is good and what of it is bad uh adventure zone which is a D D fantasy adventure podcast um 
the first thing I think about with that is like how weird it's just weird. It's a weird thing to exist in mm-hmm. in today. Like that if you travel back in time, like fifteen years ago, and I said, "Yeah, we're gonna not only play Dungeons and Dragons for an audience, we're gonna record it and put it out on like uh, okay, cool." Um, <laughs> And like we're also we're not good. Like we went into it. There are there are D and D podcasts. The one that kind of inspired it was the actual like Dungeons and Dragons Wizards of the Coast had a podcast um, that they did with the guys from Penny Arcade. And Griffin and I were like huge fans of it, so we wanted to do a thing. But like our dad, at I want to say like sixty when we started, had never played ever. So he plays with us. Justin had maybe played once, maybe twice, and he played with us. And I had only played like ten times all told. And Griffin had never DM'd before. So, like, we had no idea what we were doing. And that was kind of the, like, hook of it was, like, this is a D&D podcast for people who don't know anything about D&D. Ooh. Yeah. So, it wasn't, like, all about rules and hearing the math and everything. It was just, like, the role playing and us goofing off. Mm-hmm. Jeff, producer Jeff, yes. welcome. Thank you. Where are you with D&D? In what sense? Like, do you ever play? I don't. I try. Have you? I tried to play it in about the seventh grade. A good mm-hmm. friend of mine was really into it, and I just, I didn't get it. If you were interested in it, this is a great time to come back to it mm-hmm. because with fourth edition and now fifth edition or D and D next, so it is called. They kind of streamlined the process and took out all the complicated like formula and stuff you had to know and understand to be good at it. And now it's just so much more like. Just be your character, and your DM will tell you whether or not you were able to do something or not. That, I think that's your dungeon master. master yes. Is that right? Also, uh, if you ever hear GM, it's a game master. If it's just oh. like, because sometimes, like, you set your D&D campaign in, like, the Old West, and there's no dungeons. And, right. So I call it a dungeon uh, master. Yeah, my friend, it was one of those things, like, I had a friend that tried to take me snowboarding, <laughs> and he just went, yeah, you'll enjoy it. You'll be good at it. And then you get to the top, mm. top of the mountain, and he goes, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no instructions. So I, I think to kind of go into it cold was a pretty tough thing to was do. Was it the same friend? <laughs> Did your same no. friend be like, the okay, you didn't like snowboarding. Let's check out yeah. d I have to say, considering how long it's been going on or how long I've been hearing about it, I'm surprised there's only been five editions. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't there well, be there more were, by now? there was like 3.5 and like oh, they, so like, like, like th- Apple. And yeah. And the thing is, is they all, it's so flexible that like basically what it is is the new editions, most of them come from like, well, we're going to incorporate everyone's house rules and kind of talk to people like, what do you do differently than what's in the book? And then they kind of like, test that out and they're like okay great that's going to stay in for the next edition you know so they kind of evolve out of other people's own like you know homemade rule sets mm. okay so remember say the first thing that comes to your mind okay, yes. and then expand on it okay getting strict as we delve into this okay now here's one that you're not part of sawbones a marital tour of misguided medicine and that's your brother and your sister-in-law who are both doctors no just sydney is a doctor justin is not um my, oh. He's just a goofball. Um, <laughs> my first word for that one was jealousy because it's such a good show and like it's my wife's favorite. Mm. And it's, I'm not on it, <laughs> um, but it's my wife's favorite podcast and it's so good and uh, very informative um, because like she really knows her stuff. Like she's not only um, very interesting, she's like top marks, like top of her class valedictorian doctor. Right. 
and Justin's just funny, but like he he plays it up a little bit. Like I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. Oh, but like he's very very smart himself. But he is he is not a doctor. Uh, not yet. I assume he'll get an uh, official like honorary doctorate from probably someone. someday. If you're listening, please give my brother. Uh, an honor or a doctorate from the finest podcast college in the <laughs> podcast land. Podcast you, yeah. It's all online. <laughs> what kind of doctor is she? Um, she's a family practice. You know, general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she had a specialization in infectious medicine, but I think right now she's just like a family practice. Does that bum you out that your wife's favorite podcast is not one that you're on? No, I think it's just that my wife gets this all the time. She's this like, being your, you me. pointing to yes, the tall drink of water that is you. Me. All the time, <laughs> I don't really turn off. And so like I'm always trying to make my wife laugh and like entertain her. So I think that she's just at a certain point is like, I don't want to listen to that anymore. <laughs> I want a diversion from you. You're right. exhausting. Well, for a lot of people, podcasts are escape. Yes. Um, okay. Bunker Buddies, which is a doomsday prep podcast-ish, right? Yes. Um, anxiety is the first word that came to mind for that one. Because, I mean, that's what it sprang out of. I, I, I have a very overactive imagination. And so, like, when I was a kid, um, I was terrified of everything. Like, if you introduced the concept of, like, a monster to me, that monster I, it was weird because it was like knowing it wasn't real, but also like it's there when the lights go out. Right. And so like I would start like I remember like walking around my neighborhood picking up sticks and like sharpening them into like points so that if a vampire popped up, I could stake it. Or and if so you like a prison. Yeah. Or if I, so I could shank somebody. Exactly. Right. Um, but I, I would make like these weird plans of like, well, if this happens, I'll do this. And so that's kind of what Bunker Betty's evolved out of this mm-hmm. idea of like. Even though something probably won't happen, having a plan lets me not worry about it anymore. Because then, like, if it happens, I know at least a beginning point to do. But Andy, my podcast partner, and I, like, we both have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So it's just, like, whatever Wikipedia told us about, like, meteors and then us going, I don't know, this is what I would do. Um, But it's mostly us just being funny. Do you feel like there are people out there that are more... Um, like on the level when it comes to the apocalypse. Oh, de- they definitely exist. I don't think they listened to our podcast past like one episode because we've gotten a lot of reviews on iTunes. <laughs> so it was like not enough real information, and we're like, cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Very <laughs> much. It's called Bunker Buddies, but okay, great. Thank you very much. <laughs> Can I pet your dog? Which I have been on, had a wonderful time, and which you produce. It's just adorable. It's the most adorable show. Like, it's a show that I. It's just so cute that like. I want everybody to listen to it because it's just a hug. It's just a hug. Because, like, okay, the segments are, like, dogs we met this week and what <laughs> minute. Like, it's the cutest thing. And that all comes from Renee and Allegra, the hosts, and they're just adorable. And their love for dogs is pure and, like, not for show. Like, they really – like, I've seen them see a dog coming down the street and they just, like, lose their minds. It's <laughs> the cutest shit in the world. I love that show. You seem like a pretty pure person. I, thank you. Um – I try really, really hard. It's 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 a constant struggle of two Travises. What's the other one? Well, okay, so like, and who am I talking to? Okay, good question. There is the Travis I want to be, and then there's like the Travis that like is the neat. I was talking with Tybee, uh, my friend Tybee, about this the other day. Oh, of another one on this list in Terabang. Yes, which is the word for that is scary. Um, <laughs> that I was talking about the idea of like 
the me that I am in the instant reaction to something and then the me I am when I have two seconds to think about Mm -hmm. it. And I always want to be the one who's had some time to think about it and react. And sometimes I really don't like the guy who's like immediate reaction like, oh, I got really angry about that and I shouldn't have and that kind of thing. So I, I, I think that there are people in this world whose knee jerk reaction is nice. And then there are people in this world who are like, I'm going to make an effort to be nice. And that's me. I'm the second one. Is anger what you um, grapple with most? Frustration more than anything. Like, I I, I think it's also part of I have ADD. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, from a very young age, I get very frustrated with things, mostly with myself. But I get frustrated when something's not happening that I think should be happening. And right. um, just in general, the frustration is is kind of my number one thing. But... Which usually turns into anger if I don't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Schmanners, which is uh, etiquette that you do with your wife. Yes. Um, that one is, uh, the first word is love. It's my wife. I love her very much and she's adorable. Um, and it's, the show is so her. It's just like a vehicle for her to be amazing um and for me to just sit there and be like you're amazing um (laughs) so it's my favorite one to do also just because i love the sound of my wife's voice so it's my favorite one to do because i then edit it and just get to listen to how adorable my wife is um but yeah it's it's cute and informative and will teach you about manners without like being overbearing or like judging that Mm -hmm. was kind of our goal is like is non we're going to tell you what the textbook says to do and then like kind of answer questions more in like a real world like well yeah but it's tough to do that thing the textbook says because we're not robots. Do you feel like you've learned um, etiquette stuff from doing it? I've definitely learned a lot of like history stuff, and I, I. But I would say most of the etiquette stuff I've learned has just been from being with my wife for going on seven years now. Of just like, well, we've been married for uh, about two and a half, and together and living together for about seven, and so just throughout that, like, she's a huge influence on my life as far as like, hey. That's not the right thing to say there. Me going, oh, okay, great, great, great. Thank you. I'm going to write that down. And how does she come by all this knowledge? She's just wonderful. Like, (laughs) honestly, like, she's just great. Like, we're both middle children, and she kind of, like, we're very similar in a lot of ways, but, like, we kind of diverged down the middle child path, where, like, for her, it was like, I'm going to become, like, the the most kind of, uh, you know, uh, good Mm-hmm. I'm going to become kind of the uh, glue and central figure and most pleasant person. In my, and I love my in-laws, but like she's kind of like the one, like she's mm-hmm. kind of this shining light in everybody's lives where mine was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make people look at me and laugh and pay attention to me. And it's all about me. And I'm trying to come the other way. And she's coming the other way of like, she was too quiet and nice and behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And I was too brash and bold and not worried about enough about other people's feelings. So the two of us have kind of like pulled each other more towards the middle. Right. Um, But yeah, she's just lovely. Like she just is very, she's one of the most like considerate people I know. And she just pays attention to stuff when someone goes, here's what you should do. Um, And plus she just has a quality about her that like when she says like, hey, here's the thing you're supposed to be doing. It never comes across as like judgy or mean or Mm -hmm. so. Um, Going back to the fact that you are one of two Travises, Mm -hmm. (laughs) one Mm -hmm. of three McElroys and Mm -hmm. one of two Travises. Um, and whether you are pure or not, is there a cynical side of you? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, there definitely is. I try only to be cynical about like, 
the cynical is like only when I see other cynical people or I'm judging with other cynical people. I try not to do it when somebody's like really happy about something or something really good is presented. But when someone's mean, like I, I can turn that on too. You know what I mean? Like I can be mean right back to you and usually in defense of others, like shut someone down and make them look very silly uh, mm-hmm. by being mean right back. But I try not to do that because I don't want to put more bad vibes out into the world. I want to put good vibes out in the world, but sometimes you know you gotta be batman everybody wants to be superman (laughs) but sometimes you gotta be batman you gotta be violent you gotta be scary to stop the other violent scary people uh so that like the good nice people can rise above the scary violent people everybody wants to be superman sometimes you gotta be batman it's so true i was i was just saying on another podcast that for the longest time um i was a true pacifist like mm-hmm. i really i mean this is i'm talking about when i was a kid and then a little bit into my teens so it's not like i i never had that idea as an adult but it really as a young person i did not understand why do we need violence at all can't mm-hmm. we all just be nice which now seems naive but um emotionally i still like that idea yeah oh and i think that's the thing is i think that there's the the world that we wish existed where yeah like why why do we need violence except that we need it because there is violence you know what i mean like okay there's the world we exist in and the world that we wish existed right like i i I try on twitter a lot to like tweet as much positivity and like here's what i wish everyone would do and i know that i don't do that like i know that i in turn will then like post something on facebook about hey everybody stop spouting this thing and oh you make me so angry after like 10 minutes earlier i told everyone like Hey, make sure you're putting positivity out in the world because that's the world I want to exist. Right. Like I'm I'm I know I'm a hypocrite just like everybody in the world, but just the idea of like I know that that's what we should be doing mm-hmm. and it's what I should be doing, but I don't always do it cuz I ain't perfect. Right. Which actually goes right into Interabang, which yeah. you said scary. That's the scariest one. Um <laughs> and it's the newest one. So, my friend Timey uh who I met when I moved out here uh, about a year and a half ago, um our friendship just like immediately like clicked like the first time we met for coffee because like a, fr- a mutual friend was like i think you guys would get along we sat down for coffee and ended up hanging out for like four hours and just like talking you know straight four hour conversation and be like oh it's been four hours mm. um and we we both um kind of make each other feel very safe in very very com- scary conversation topics um you know talking about you know uh transgender issues and like lgbt issues and like uh we just did a podcast talking about how to respond when someone like makes a rape accusation um so not really what we think about rape but like the actual process of dealing with someone accusing someone else like uh, side with the victim but also like how do i do that and it's like a very scary topic to then publish out into the internet and say like hey here's a really personal honest conversation which we don't know the answer and we're not pretending to is terrifying because it really just opens it up for people to be like you guys sound stupid you don't know what you're talking about blah, 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 mm. and we have somehow just in like we've only put out 13 episodes so far but we've cultivated a very um trusting audience a very uh willing to engage in conversation without like being angry or mean about it audience i and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um the conversation is honest so people know there's no artifice so they like right. respond very honestly to it but it's it's terrifying though yeah the rape topic in particular i remember a few years ago on my podcast um i was saying something about there was a particular situation and i i was saying that like you know 
we need to be careful not to in this particular situation just believe just believe it because someone said it because that can turn into a witch hunt yeah and like some of us on the pod a couple of us had had no had been close to situations where the the person accused was innocent Mm -hmm. and their lives were completely fucked up because the accusation but i got a lot of um a lot of letters from from people who were like you're you know people like you are what is going to prevent victims from speaking out and do you know how rare a false accusation is and it really it's so complicated it's so complicated that i was afraid to even say what i just said now yeah it's a minefield and that's the thing is it's 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 also the kind of topic where like so this is the thing that i've been dealing with and i think in terabang has has really made me think about even more so I, i i i'm a bit of a like internet kind of missionary you know i want to go out there and fix the internet but and the, make it nice. I, I want to make it nice. Yeah. Um, but the idea of like, this happened the other day. What was I talking about? I was talking about, oh, I was talking about people who were um, people who are mean. They make mean comments or like they judge a project mm-hmm. without keeping in mind that there's like human beings behind it. And you see that all the time where I've seen people yes. like, this looks stupid. And I was like, okay, great. Somebody worked on that. And it's, and the thing, and somebody was like, whoa, we're not allowed to criticize things. So I was like, of course you are. You haven't seen it. What are you criticizing? <laughs> right. It's not out yet. Or <laughs> people would be like, I think this looks like garbage. And I was like, okay, great. But like, based on what? And right. I, because there's such a difference between like, I am not interested in seeing, like, I just saw a preview for The Shallows with Blake Lively. And when the preview ended, I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to see that. And that was as much as I felt I needed to feel about it. I wasn't like, here's everything wrong with this preview and what? It's terrible. I was just like, yeah, I probably will skip that one. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I also didn't feel the need to even go onto Twitter and say like, just saw the preview for the shallows, gonna skip that one. Like, right. there's no reason to do that. And then somebody was like, hey man, you're just kind of shouting at a brick wall because the internet will be the internet. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's only that way if nobody says, hey, don't do that. And so I think that there's a thing that's gone on way too long on the internet of like, hey, don't respond to the trolls or like, best thing to do is just yes. stay out of it. And it's if like, you respond, then they win. Yeah, except that like, that only happens if you get angry. And, and, and somebody asked me on Twitter, it's like, well, then how do you respond? I was like, you just say, no, you don't get to do that. Don't do that. And like, you don't have to enter into a conversation with them. You just say, no, no, you're not allowed to do that stuff. Because if you're like, hey, man, here's everything wrong with what you just said. Now right. you're just doing the same thing. You're sinking to their level. And there's an option between arguing with them and ignoring them. Mm. And it's just to say like, hey, I recognize what you're doing. And just don't do it. No right. one likes that stuff. And so I I don't know. I just think that there's there's need on the internet for people to say like, hey, here's some positivity and let's ignore the negativity. And it's that's kind of what we try to do on Interrobang. And it's really scary. It's mm-hmm. scary to to say stuff like that because the internet can be a very scary, anonymous place. But in general with Interrobang, are you looking towards the most minefield-y kind of topics? No, not a, like generally our MO is like we pick something that in the past week has like really frustrated us, whether it's just like people in LA don't know how to drive or like I got into a conversation with someone on Twitter and then we just kind of free form an hour to an hour and a half conversation and it really is just like that's how tybee and i engage anyways we're like oh that topic just came up out of nowhere okay great but we don't have anything planned out or anything we actually 
try more and more to like not hit those heavy minefield <laughs> for like four episodes in a row. It was just like deep, 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 deep. And it's like, can we talk about like hamburgers or something? And so like we try not to, but it does come up a lot because like that's there's also a lot of it in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, scary stuff comes up and really controversial, upsetting stuff comes up. And it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Right. Like it's what's frustrating us. So. Um, can you talk about the drive to have and continue starting so many podcasts? Because I do this one, but there's an idea for a new podcast I have, which actually, Jeff, I've been meaning to talk to you about it. But I'm like, do I really want to do another one? Well, <laughs> and that's I, just talking about adding one more. A lot of it comes from, do you remember when I thought I was a middle child? Oh, <laughs> a yeah. lot of it comes from this idea of like, um, I, I want attention. I love attention. I love Attention a lot. I'm I am a uh, I'm a self uh, diagnosed narcissist, and I love attention a lot. And so it also helps that one of my favorite things about podcasting is like I don't need approval from a network. Mm-hmm. I don't need a produce. I don't need like money. I don't need anything. Um, especially since I've already got the equipment from the one show I do. So if I have an idea come up, I I can start it. I don't need anyone to say like yay or nay. I can just start doing it. Um, and I also, it doesn't have to be popular. Like it's not going to get canceled. It's, I don't have to worry about advertisers. Like it costs me nothing mm-hmm. to just start doing a new podcast. It costs me $15 a month for hosting fees. And so I've always like had ideas for stuff and it used to be like TV shows or movies. I never did anything with them. I'm not a writer or creator, but like I would have an idea like, oh, you know what TV show I would like to see. But in podcast form, I can just start doing it, especially like what it really comes down to is like keep meeting great people. And like I met Tybee and I was like, yeah, we need to do a podcast. I met Andy and I was like, yeah, we should. I had this idea because I used to do a podcast called In Case of Emergency, which evolved into Bunker Buddies. And I was like, yeah, you're perfect for this because her mom is like a prepper and Andy's kind of a survivalist, but like comedian first and has no Mm -hmm. idea what she's doing. So I was like, yeah, you're made for this. And then, you know, with my brothers, like, that was the whole thing in and of itself. And my wife was like, we should do a podcast. I really want to do a podcast. Please, let's do a podcast. And every new podcast I would start, she'd sit there and go, and when are we going to do our podcast? <laughs> and so, like, I – and, you know, trends like these I do um, with oh, – God, I do so many podcasts. Trends like these is a show that I do with my uh, college roommate and then groomsman and now, like, best friend across the world. Uh, where we just talk about what's trending on Facebook and we actually like read the stories and talk about them and not just the headlines because there's so much stuff where the headlines say one thing right? and then you read the story and like, oh, that's not what happened at all. And so we started talking about that and that was only because that was a conversation Brett and I were having once a week anyways. So like we should just record it and put it out. And the weirdest one, the weirdest one I do. And <laughs> so I do a show with my brothers and these two guys who make a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. Where we watch and review Paul Blart Mall Cop oh, 2. Yeah. <laughs> we do it once a year, every American Thanksgiving, and it's called Till Death Do Us Blart. And the um the catch, kind of the twist is that we've committed to do it for the rest of time. <laughs> and if one of us dies, we'll be replaced by someone new and the show must continue forever. <laughs> and we've so far put out one episode. <laughs> And it's the silliest idea of a podcast ever. But, like, that's the thing. I could do that, and no one's like, that's a stupid idea for a podcast. You're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that they're so easy to do, um, at least for me, because I've already got all the setup, and I already know how to do it. And maybe I reach 10% of a new audience that I wouldn't have gotten before because they weren't interested in D&D or bad advice. 
but then you introduce you know apocalypse and they're like oh that's interesting and so now they're like well i really like that i'll check out his other stuff Mm -hmm. so they all kind of feed into each other um but really it's just that i love working on projects i before this um before i moved out here i worked i lived in cincinnati and i worked at the cincinnati shakespeare company and i was the technical director and master carpenter and i worked like 80 to 100 hour weeks and i was doing so much and then suddenly i moved out here and all i was doing was my brother my brother and me and adventure zone and i had all this free time and i was like oh i'm so bored (laughs) all the time i need to do more shows and so now i do um six shows a week um and and one every two weeks and it's like okay thank you (laughs) i almost had too much free time and i didn't know what to do with it oh that was close what brought you out here? Um, okay, so that was one of the big defining moments of my life. Um, so to get real for a second, Allison. What have we been doing? <laughs> oh, I was lying. Everything I've said until now is complete <laughs> bullshit. Um, so my wife and I got married um, 2013 in October. And um, I at that point, I've been working at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company for like five years. And it was backbreaking like it was i you know it was at most i had a crew of like two other people and we were doing uh what, what we called 10 day turnarounds and it meant that we struck the show on sunday and then we installed monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday and then saturday and sunday they had 12 hour rehearsals for tech and then tuesday was photos and wednesday night was like the first preview and so, you're an actor as well right yes so were you loving the work or were, was this like what you were doing while you were hoping that you were doing more acting on one level. I loved it. Cause I, I'm a problem solver and I really like working with my hands and I love carpentry and I love building, but I was, I was living two lives because I had my brother, my brother and me um, where I was getting all this attention and everybody loved it and everybody knew who I was and I'm internet podcast person. And then at my day job, which Still was like working at Shakespeare theater, so not like really pushing you know the pen around or anything, but like <laughs> i I was behind the scenes yeah. like i and I was in a couple shows, and I got to be in some stuff with the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, but we were doing like ten shows a year, and like no, I wasn't getting the applause at the end of the show right, and like i at some point had to be honest with myself and say like that matters to me. I would love if it didn't i I would love if I was the kind of person who at the end of the day stepped back from my work and was like. A job well done, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, I need people to look at me and go, you did great. Right. Um, and so uh, my wife and I got married and I had just grown more and more unhappy because I love the Cincinnati. I still love the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, but like it, it is a theater that is built on the fact that everyone's committed. Everyone works and gives everything to the theater and it's why it's continued to grow there. They just started like broke ground on their brand new theater. But the thing is, is like you can only do that for so long mm-hmm. before you're like, I'm burned out. I, and for some people, they do it their whole lives. You know, there are people who have worked there for going on 20 years now. But for me, it was like after five years, I was like, I can't anymore. And then um, shortly after our honeymoon, my wife and I found out we were pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like, oh, it's great. Uh, and then we had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. um, which was a huge impactful event for a lot of reasons but one of them was this feeling of like okay if we had had the kid like the one the one kind of like ray of you know sunshine silver lining out of it was if we'd had the kid it would have pretty much locked 
our lives into what we were doing at that point I, in Cincinnati working at the Shakespeare company. Like I, I wouldn't have had any flexibility or freedom to make any other choices until long down the road. And so when we found out of the miscarriage, it, I mean, it wrecked us for like three or four weeks. We didn't really leave the house. And then it was like, how far along was she? It was early. I mean, it was like, we went in the first time at like six or seven weeks and they were like, yeah, but we can't really say anything official until like eight weeks. And we're like, okay, great. And then when we came back for the like eight week checkup, Mm. they were like, it hasn't progressed. And we were like, oh, okay, cool. And the mistake that we made that, okay. The thing is, is miscarriages are so, so common and we didn't know until we had one. And then everyone we talked to was either like, oh yeah, I've had a miscarriage or like people saying my mom had a miscarriage before she had me and we're like oh we thought we were like alone on this terrifying island because no one talks about miscarriages because they're very very scary and sad and the problem is is we had like we were so excited that like we told people Mm -hmm. like right away way too early but like we told our families and we told um and i don't think that there's anything wrong with telling people because now um having it be two years later i look back on it i'm like yeah we had a miscarriage. It sucks. It's really, really bad. But like, we are going to keep trying. You know what I mean? But at the time, it was like everybody we had told we were pregnant, we had to go back to and be like, yeah, we're not. And the looks on their faces and like the reactions to it was like finding out all over again every mm-hmm. time. So we sat down and had this conversation a couple months later where I was just like, I, I'm not happy in my job. I've got these two jobs. One makes me the happiest in the world. And the other, I'm so burned out from doing physically too. Like I was just like, I was in great shape because I was like carrying lumber around all day. (laughs) But like I was sleeping like four hours a night to get things done. And I was like constantly bleeding from some cut on my body, (laughs) bruised from something. Something was hurt. I had braces like all over my body just because I was hurting myself constantly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I doing this one and making the podcasting that I love a secondary priority and so she was she looked at me and because my wife is amazing said what do you want to do and i looked at her and i said i want to move to la um and the reason being is like i had never done it and like all my friends out of college had done it and i was like if i don't do it i'm gonna always feel bad that i didn't do it how old were you at that point um that was i just turned 30 okay. um and that was another part of it too of like and and the thing is, it's like, I didn't want to move here because I wanted to live here. I wanted to move here because, like, this is where people make podcasts. And, like, I knew that moving here, I would get to guests on other people's. Mm-hmm. I could get other people to guest on mine. And I could more seriously focus on making podcasts. I hope today on this podcast for you is the fruition of this dream. The, I, and honestly, this <laughs> is very huge for me. Uh, oh, um, I was joking. But. No, it's true. We both, yeah. we, I, I think you were on um, Jordan, Jesse go mm-hmm. and you listed your, uh, your new year's resolutions and it was like, have a baby and guest on more podcasts. And I was like, and yeah, more social. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, me too. This is exactly <laughs> what I want to do. Allison is my new best friend. <laughs> um, and so, I like I moved down here to focus on pie, but I also like had it in my head. It was kind of the thing where I was like, people were like, are you going to audition for stuff? Are you going to try to, and I was like, I don't know. And then I got out of here. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It seems terrible. <laughs> like I know people that go out and audition and are trying to do things and it just seems depressing and exhausting. And I've got a thing. I'm doing a thing. My brother, mm-hmm. my brother and me is enough of a thing. A, a fuckload of things. I'm doing way too many things, but I, it's enough of a thing that I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very, very fortunate that the thing I really love You're doing. You're talking about money. 
yeah, I'm, I'm able to support myself and my wife and like our, our life just doing the thing that makes me really happy. Is um, it just from my brother, my brother and me, or is it all of them? Um, well, it, it will be from all of them starting very soon because mm-hmm. we just finished. So Max Fun, the network that most of my shows are on, um, is is all listener supported, donor supported. So every year we do a Max Fun drive um, where we say like, hey, if you like the show, commit to giving like $5 a month. And then you get to pick which shows you listen to. And part like 70% is then divided among, you know, all mm-hmm. the shows you listen to. So if your show, people love your show you get supported and people seem to love my brother, my brother and me. Um, so yeah, I'm very lucky that, and it's also feels really good to know that like, I really like making the thing that I create and people seem to like the thing that I create enough to want to support me to be able to keep making the thing that I create. It's a very nice cycle where I'm just like, I'm doing something right because it's not like someone's just giving me money to create a thing that no one's paying attention to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, advertisers are paying for you. I and mean, that's fine. Like, I don't knock that, but I just happen to be in this form of the thing, right. which is very rare. I don't know many other podcast networks that work that way. But Although my brother and brother and me does have ads, right? We do. We do have ads, but um, it's very rare. And also, <laughs> it's important to point out that Max Fun in general r- rarely has ads. But because the my brother, my brother and me listeners are very supportive of us when we have advertisers, it seems to be very successful. Mm. So advertisers really want to advertise on my brother, my brother, me. But we set limits on it. Um, and so like we were like, we'll never uh, occasionally we do if it's like a make good or we fuck something up. But like <laughs> we said, like two, we do two a week max because we don't want it to be the whole thing. And also. We end up like bullshitting and joking our way through the ads anyways. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite bits have come in the middle of the ads segments that have gone on for like six or seven minutes of us just like ad libbing and making stuff up about a thing. Like we, our first success, like serious sponsor was from uh, extremerestraints.com, mm-hmm. which was a BDSM, like, you know, a sex toys website. Uh huh. And they basically just gave us carte blanche. And we're like, here's the coupon code. Say whatever you want to. Oh, wow. And so we would just go off on these long tangent rants <laughs> about like these sex. Oh, we did uh, every year we do a Christmas episode we call Candle Nights. And it's all our all-inclusive pan-religious, pansexual, personal pan-holiday. Um, <laughs> and But we, we always try to keep it PG so you can listen to it with your family. And we had Extreme Restraints on as a sponsor during one of our Candle Nights episode. It's one of my favorite ads we've ever done of like trying to talk about the products, but in a very PG way. Like right. maybe you need to kill a really big fly. Here's a paddle <laughs> to do it with. That kind of thing. We tried to come up with alternate uses for the sex toys. And it's so funny. It was really great. Um, But yeah, so... So you moved here. I, I moved here. Um, and And... It also has helped that, um, you know, I have a very supportive wife who uh, I cannot say enough. I love her. very. I hope that's clear. I think she's great. I feel like Uh, you're saying it so much, beginning to make me think you hate her. I don't. I don't. I actually am just a huge fan. (laughs) I have all her old stuff. I love her. (laughs) Were you into her before Uh, everyone was into her? Oh, yeah. But now she's doing all this scent stuff. I don't even know. But, like, I liked her acoustic stuff. Um, (laughs) But she, she, all along the way, if it was just like, hey, I, I hope a check comes in to pay it. She's just like, okay. (laughs) And she's very cool about it. But the thing that we kind of set was like, we're going to do it for like two years and then we're going to restock and kind of like take where we're at and figure out. 
Um, so I actually don't know how long we'll be here because I don't have to be here to do the thing I'm doing. Right. Like I'm just kind of here to like establish connections and network and like kind of establish myself as like a person who does the thing. Mm, I feel so used already. Well, but the thing is, is like when you're sitting in Cincinnati and all you're doing is like a podcast, I feel like, and it's still, I still feel like this, but when you look at someone and go, I do a podcast, it just feels like in their head, they're thinking, so does my nephew. Like that's the thing. So like to legitimize Mm-hmm. the thing that you do is so hard when you're podcasting or a youtuber or a blogger or anything i know exactly what you mean it's i know so exactly frustrating. what you mean and so like people will be like are you do you do stand up i'm like nope <laughs> just just the podcasting and they're like really and i'm like yep yeah i yep yep yeah that like just moving to la already like mm-hmm. pushed that forward a couple different levels and what does your wife do um, my wife was an actress and well is an actress. She ooh, there's not a lot of theater around here. Mm-hmm. Um actress and she was a, swim, a swimming instructor and lifeguard for many, many years. Um so right now she does the podcast with me and mostly uh we've just like been trying to get pregnant for two years. So like what she'd been doing is trying to get pregnant. Like that that was the deal of like we can move to LA, but I want a baby. And I was like, cool, cool, great, great, great. So like after the miscarriage, like that was the discussion. Because before that we had kind of said like, we we definitely knew we wanted to have kids going into the marriage, but it was just like at some point we'll figure it out. And then like we found out we were pregnant right after the honeymoon, mm-hmm. and then we were like, Oh no, we want kids now. And so we've been we've been working for like the last two years to make that happen. Um, Are you guys doing that unassisted, or I'm like the I'm the queen of trying to yeah, get pregnant uh, we, unnaturally. We haven't been doing any like anything as far as like injections or anything mm-hmm. like that, but like as far as like you know having specialists and like OBs and special like planning people and special all that kind of stuff that we've been going to to try to figure it out right. um, that like. It's just like trying to nail down the timing. It makes it so annoying. <laughs> oh, I know. There's just, nothing, nothing less sexy than trying to have sex. Oh, yeah, exactly. When it's just like, okay, well, we got ten minutes. Okay, yeah, all right, great. No, <laughs> yeah. leave your shirt on, whatever. And it's just like right. not sexy. And it's also then you see like these like sixteen year old kids getting pregnant in high school, and you're like, <sighs> must be nice. And yeah. it's like it's so frustrating to know that like here we are like two people who are well-established adults who are totally capable of taking care of a baby and it's just not happening is one of the most frustrating things in the world Um, for me also there's this feeling of like my god i spent so long worrying about getting pregnant yeah and i don't know if i ever could have i know that a part of the art i mean what you're saying is like everyone could have at 16 or 17 which is true probably true i don't know though i think it's just more statistically likely i mean just like your stuff is just more efficient when you're like 16 and 17 you know what i mean and it's it's sad to say because i still think of 30 as so young i mean i'm 32 now i'll be 33 in november and i still think of that as so very young but then like medically when you actually look at it like no no yeah yeah you ain't as young as like a 16 year old and you're like oh yeah 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 that's right i guess i forgot about that right um and it's also just especially like I know why the body works this way, but the fact that you really only have like one window a month <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's just like you miss that and you got to wait a whole nother month. And, and it I feels so, like, oof. you know, I feel like the older I get, time goes faster and faster. But in terms of fertility, that thing of and no matter what level you are, whether it's just 
trying to get pregnant naturally, you didn't get pregnant, have to wait till next month. Or when you're like doing the IVF cycles and stuff, that is a long, it feels it's like so a long, long time to wait. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it's just like, oh, another disappointment. Because if you look at the actual year, that's 12 chances. Yeah. Like that's seems like so little that it's just like, yeah, of course it takes, it's really fucking hard. You've only got 12 shots at it. Like, yeah. And you can't see what you're doing. Like, I can't <laughs> aim. I got 12 shots and I'm firing blind. Like, it's hard. And so, so that's been a lot of our focus for like the last two years. Um, but really it's just like, I, I, I just like being here because my favorite thing about LA is everybody's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a big difference from Cincinnati, where in Cincinnati, everyone's just living their lives, which is great. But I'm just not that type of person, and I don't know that I'll ever be that type of person. So to be surrounded by people who are just like, I'm just happy with how things are going now, where I'm going, you are, but like, what's next? What are you doing? What's your next step? How do you ascend? What are you working toward? Like, So here, everybody seems to be thinking the same way I do, which is kind of refreshing, which is, yeah, but what's the next thing? What do I need to do now? How am I going to get better? Um, So that's nice and exhausting. (laughs) And uh, it's it's nice to then go on Twitter and say positive things. It really balances that out. With my brother, my brother and me, you guys are all in separate places. Yes. But it sounds like you're all together. How do you do that? Um, (laughs) The answer is that the way that we talk to each other on the show is the way that we... while we might have said different things. Let me, refer, let me, let me oh. explain my Oh, question. how do we technically do that? Yes. Oh, okay. Because like, you don't have an ISDN line, do you? No. We just oh, we call each other over Skype and it sucks. And But it doesn't – but I I feel like I have a good sense of when it sounds like all pingy and like Skype. But with you guys, it really doesn't sound like you're using Skype. I mean a lot of that comes from like it's just been a huge focus over the last five years of like upgrading. I'm like, all right, we pay the most for internet mm-hmm. that you possibly can so that it's as fast as it can be that we have like we keep upgrading whatever computing system and sound recording equipment we're using. But most of it comes down to Griffin – uh, does the editing he does the post and he's meticulous like mm-hmm. he's very um particular and he like to the point where we've offered to pay for an editor and he's like i don't trust anyone else to do it because he goes through and he will like spend hours and hours and hours editing a single thing to make sure that it doesn't sound like shit right and, like he he cuts out all of our sniffs like just so that people don't hate it um and seems to be doing a good job so like that's really what it comes down to i mean it's that griffin works his ass off to make it to not make sound it, like shit. Right. Yeah. Who's the most perfectionist of the three of you? Um, Technically, it's probably Griffin. As far as like, yeah, it's Griffin. It's probably Griffin. Um, I was going to say me, but it's just not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more about like, let's just start and see how it goes. Um, And I think Justin is like, we're going to do it. And I've got an hour and then I've got to get back to my baby. And because he has a two year old who's mm-hmm. the, my favorite person in the world, baby Charlie, she is great and I love her very much. And but like for Griffin, like Griffin's just always had more of like a technical perfection kind of mindset. And he does a lot of like video editing for their uh, video game site too. So he's just like, he likes that where I'm more like, we're thinking about it too much. Let's just tell the jokes. Um, right. so, so mine is just more like, but that for that show. On my other shows, it's me. Like when we do like trends like these, or we're doing all the other shows, I do most of the editing for those shows. And then I'm, um, I wouldn't call myself a perfectionist, but like I, I, especially when the shows were new, I was very like fine tooth comb. And if anything seemed offensive at all, like even like, oh, 
I don't think that sounded the way that we wanted to. We left out a word that would have really clarified that we weren't saying something terrible. I would cut it because I just didn't want to upset people. And it wasn't until I got a lot more comfortable publishing shows, especially uh, with trends like these and now in Tarabang, where we talk about actual like real things that are going on in the world, where it's just like somebody's going to be offended. Also, like I, I'd kill myself, you know, exhaust myself going through and trying to cut every little thing that I thought would upset someone. Is we leave it all in, don't I was, we, Allison? I've been thinking about that so much <laughs> as you're talking. I'm like, huh, what's that like? <laughs> well, and I know, like, I know. <laughs> I know that that's a thing. Like, that's also, like, I listened to podcasts before where, like, they didn't even edit them out going, okay, wait, hold on. Can we say that? We can't? Okay, great. And, like, they leave that in, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> that was me. Uh, my bad. Um, but. I, there's just something about it where it's just like we're we all grew up doing theater and so i think that there's something about like wanting it to be like perfect for the audience and also our dad is a radio dj mm-hmm. and um so we grew up like doing radio with our dad and coming from the background of like we're performing we're doing radio performance and so i think we all just kind of treat it like that and the first McRoy show that ever existed was actually a podcast that justin and griffin did um for they were uh worked for a video game site at the time called poly or no they were joystick at the time and they were doing the joystick podcast right it was very edgy Um, (laughs) but they were doing a podcast with them so that was a very produced like for the website podcast and so like we kind of came out of that so to the point of like us being in different places griffin and i actually lived together when we first started the podcast we were in cincinnati together and justin was in west virginia and griffin and i still recorded in separate rooms because we didn't know that people recorded in the same room for podcasts because Mm -hmm. for their show everybody was in different places recording so we were just like okay time for an episode and he'd go in his bedroom and i'd go in my bedroom and like we didn't know so it wasn't until later and someone's like why aren't you guys in the same room? And we're like, because that would be weird. We could see each other. Why would you want to do that? Ooh, That's cute. But it really just comes from we all grew up kind of interacting the way that we interact now. So like, I don't have to see them to know the face that they're making when they say a thing. The hesitation to offend people, which by the way, I have that too. So Mm -hmm. I get it. But is it about not wanting someone to, to be bummed out or is it about not wanting someone to be bummed out at you? Um, Prim- or something else primarily the first thing is i don't it's not so much i'm worried about offending someone as i'm worried about upsetting them because there's a lot of like really bad shit in the world um so for example i just said earlier in here that like if i tried to edit whatever i'd kill myself and then i sit there and think like there are people in the world who like are contemplating suicide or have attempted suicide so for them me flippantly saying kill myself is a very real scary thing Mm -hmm. for them. So I say it as though, hey, it's just a joke that I'm making, and then I feel bad about it for the rest of the episode because for them, it's a very real thing that's a very huge part of their life that has a huge effect on them. So I sit there and go, I have to cut that. And there was stuff in the early episodes of My Brother, My Brother, Me when we were just completely unaware and very, you know, three white dudes from West Virginia where, like, we had no idea. So, like, we would say some very offensive stuff about transgender people having no idea that what we were saying was offensive. Like we just used terms that we had heard everywhere. And then someone's like, you can't say that. And luckily people handled it very, very well and responded to us like, Hey, I know you guys are like trying really hard and you don't know, but like, here's the thing you said that was really offensive. And I go, damn it. And so now we just try to be very, very careful. Now the other side is like, 
if I'm going to talk about a subject and I feel very strongly about it, I'll say the way that I feel. I don't want to offend and upset people because I accidentally said something wrong or stupid or upsetting, Mm -hmm. but I'm perfectly fine upsetting and offending people if I'm like, hey, here's the deal. I always side with the accusers in a rape case. And if someone's like, hey, you're wrong, like, I don't care. That's me. And it's a thing that I'll always do. Um, But like I especially terminology is something I try to be very, very careful about because they're just words that everybody thinks is okay because everybody uses them. And then you say them and the people it actually affects go, um, I don't like that. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm the worst. Um, So, yeah, I would say it's mostly about just not wanting to bum anyone out because there's plenty of that in the world. Right. You said that you have self-diagnosed yourself as a narcissist. Yes. Um. It like sort of a casual narcissist, or you think you are a narcissist? Well, um, I I am a narcissist. Um, so there are two forms of narcissism, as I understand it. There was a time where I was going to be a psychologist, and I mm. took uh, like a year full of classes on it, and then I didn't want to do school anymore. Um, like I went back to school to get my master's in psychology, and then I remembered how much I hated school. Um, <laughs> but there, as I remember and as I understand it, there are two forms of narcissism. There's defensive narcissism, and then there's actual narcissism. And defensive narcissism is like you tell yourself you're the greatest thing in the world and that you're the center of attention and you're the most important to kind of combat the fact that like you feel depressed or you feel like people don't feel that way or you are trying to build yourself up. And actual narcissism is that you actually believe that. And I'm a very self-aware narcissist, so I don't think I seem like a narcissist to most people, which is great and what I'm going for because I'm trying <laughs> to actively like be aware of other people's right. feelings. But I am incredibly self-centered. Um, it's I, interesting because you really are good at not coming across that way. Because I'm sitting here thinking, but you're, but based on what you're saying about wanting to not hurt people and being so tuned into people, there's no way you are a true narcissist. Maybe I'm wrong, though. No, I, 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 the thing is, is so I've been thinking a lot about manipulation. And the thing is, I think that there's a connotation to manipulation that it's inherently bad. Mm -hmm. But I think you can manipulate people for good. And I think another word for it is leadership. And so I try to use everything that I feel is like a narcissist and as a manipulator for good. And I want to manipulate people to be nicer to each other. I know. (laughs) I want to manipulate people to be nicer to each other. I want to manipulate people to like share positivity with each other. Um, And how, what's the difference between... manipulating them and inspiring them well that's the thing as i think they're the same thing i just know i'm doing it on purpose i think that's i think there are inspiring people in the world and i think that i am not one of those but i'm trying to be i act like i'm one of those and Mm. i'm doing it on purpose i think that's the thing is it all comes down to motivation and like because the thing is is like i don't narcissist isn't like psychopath or sociopath to me it's just like i i know like i have a crippling fear of death and the reason is is because as far as i'm concerned when i think about death when i die the world ends because everything for you it does yeah but that's the thing is everything i know about the world is my own perception so when my perception ends the world as i know it is done Mm -hmm. and that's sad to me and i'm i'm so sad about everyone who will miss me when i die um so like i I, i'm not i'm i have in the past tybee argues with me about this all the time where i say i'm a narcissist and she's like no you're not but the thing is, is like I'm not evil. I'm you know not, what you're doing? You're manipulating people into get, and you're ma- in doing so making them tell you how great you are. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like I, I do it for attention. But 
I also can couple that with trying to make good things happen or make mm-hmm. people laugh or do, you know, nice things for people and get attention for it. But like my motivation is just not because I'm, I think I am nice. I think that I am, um, I do think about other people's feelings, but like I have to like make the effort to do that. And mm-hmm. it, and it really has been an evolution over the course of my life to get to the point where I'm thinking about other people's feelings. And there's been like, very real points in my life where I'm like, oh yeah, I can point to that exact moment of when I became a better person and that exact moment where I decided to become a better person, that exact moment where I started thinking about other people's feelings because just for a long time, I didn't. And I wasn't always, for a long time, I was a defensive narcissist where it was just like, I was, you know, feeling like an outcast and like feeling like I didn't have any friends and like life was really hard. And When so, was that? So basically from like 10 to like 19, um, where it was just like, I, and I think I, I think it was completely self-inflicted. I think people liked me and I think mm-hmm. I had friends. I just didn't believe that anybody liked me and I didn't believe that they were really my friends. Like it wasn't enough. Yeah. So I, I can, I have very vivid memories of like being with friends and suddenly just going like, I know you're all talking about me behind my back and I know you don't really like me and I, you're just pretending to like me to, to make me look stupid or be mean to me or something and like storming out of the room. That's so interesting. Yeah. Where did that come from? Do you think? No idea. No. And I think it was just like, I was insecure as, as like, and I could blame it on a thousand different things, but I think it's just a combination of like, Had you, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, just a combination of all these different factors of I was middle child. And, you know, I, I thought my, both my brothers were like better at things than I was. And Griffin was cuter and Justin was smarter and all these things. But it really was all self-inflicted of me sitting there going like, nobody really likes you. And, but it was all. Had you had an experience though, where you felt betrayed by people? I mean, in general, like I've always just been a little too sensitive about what other people think about me. And so like there, you know, were times where people were like giggling behind my back and I just assumed it was about me. But or, was it ever? I don't know. Like I, I remember walking around with a group of kids and like giggling at me, turning around like, what, what is it? And they like were shocked that I had turned around. They were like, no, nothing. And I was like, <laughs> sure. And I just assumed that they had just not told me what they were laughing. And it was just like that, where it's just like all of that was in my head. And I just had an overactive imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just convinced that all this was happening and all this animosity was coming at me where it's just like, Hey man, just chill out and just relax. And I, and I should have just like, relaxed and it took me a long long time to realize that like hey you're the one doing this like no one's bullying you no one's being i mean i did get bullied like i got made fun of because i had a huge head and i had really big like the head i have now picture that on like a 10 year old (laughs) um but i have really big lips and so like i was called creatively big head and big lips um it was really really top notch it was a real great like triple entendre i didn't even know and so I was bullied, but never like, I, I don't remember ever being beat up. I don't, I, I think it was more just like a, we noticed a thing about you that was different. We're going to point it out. And like, because we're kids and but we're But that mean. shit's painful. It is. And so, and that was especially in middle school that hit pretty hard. And I was a real minkus is the way I always compare it. Like I was a real minkus. Um, What's a minkus? So I like boy, to think I know all words. In Boy Meets World, um, oh, okay. the early ones, minkus is like the straight A student nerdy kid with like big glasses. And like, he looked like me when I was, we have pictures of me where she's <laughs> like, oh, that. 
Um, but like the same year, second grade, the same year I was diagnosed with ADD, I was also put in the talented and gifted like genius program. So like those two things and I like did community theater from the time I was like seven mm-hmm. on. And so like all of these things combined was like, oh, I was very dorky. Yeah. But in a way that now would be like, like if, if I, if I was a 10 year old now, I'd be like, Oh, he's into all this really cool shit. He's into theater. And with Hamilton, now everybody loves theater right now. And he likes video games. Everybody loves video games. But at the time, it was just before the cusp of like, <laughs> oh, everything that he liked was cool. Okay, yeah. But what, even then, still self-inflicted. Like, nobody was like, we hate you because you're smart. We hate you. Be-. But like, I assumed everyone did. Um, so then I would start to like tell myself how great I was. And really, especially in high school, my like uh, junior and senior year. I was like starring in all of like the the plays in high school and the community theater. And I had a girlfriend and like I just convinced myself that I was the shit. And I would just tell myself that all the time. And if something bad happened or someone was mean to me, it was like, well, what do they know? You're king shit. You're the best. And then I got to college where I was not anymore. Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma. I got a National Merit Scholarship because I'm, as Congrats. mentioned. Thank you. Very smart. <laughs> um, I, I was the least smart. There were five kids who got the National Merit Scholar my senior year at my high school. And they were um, in class ranking first, second, third, fourth, and 85th. That I had the same yeah, thing. I was 85th. Yeah, I was the, I was not ranked in I was National Merit as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Fellow National Merit. I was uh I was in like the 80s or something as well. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't try. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. Like I was so good at tests because like I just like was really good at tests but like I never turned in homework and I never did classwork cuz I was just didn't do it. Right. Um and so the University of Oklahoma collects national merit scholars and if you get a national merit, you know, like ranking, then you they just send you a letter and they're like come here and we'll pay for everything. And they have a really good theater program. So I went and I got there and I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew who I was. So I I didn't have you know, the 18 years of like building up my family being in theater. And I, Huntington is not a small town in West Virginia, but like it's not huge. Mm-hmm. And so, like, everyone knew who I was. My dad was on the radio. I was in plays all the time. And suddenly, like, nobody knew who I was. I didn't know anyone. And I wasn't starring in anything. And for some, no, I know why. I was about to say for some reason. Also, everybody assumed I was gay because I was very enthusiastic and friendly and outgoing for whatever reason, even in a drama program, everyone is like, oh, you're gay. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm not. And it was weird because it wasn't like bullying. Mm-hmm. It was like them trying to be like, hey, man, this is a safe place. You can, I was like, I'm just not. And like they didn't believe me for like my entire freshman year. And I just started to get so fed up with having to go like, I'm I'm not there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just not gay. Right. And so like my freshman year was very, very stressful and kind of kicked me back into that like nobody really likes you. There was one party where like specifically this kid named Drew who did not like me because he thought I hated gay people because of how fervently I was saying <laughs> I was not gay. Aww. And he specifically told my friends, Travis is not invited to this party, which was like not a thing. The theater department was just like, if you had a party Everybody was coming. Mm-hmm. And like, so I had friends come up to me and be like, hey, you can't come to Drew's party tonight. And I was just like, I was devastated. And so like, that was like another like, yep, people don't like you. And they're all talking about you behind I your mean, back. Because it's like that, it, to me, that is exactly the kind of thing that you'd been fearing all this mm-hmm. time, right? 
Exactly. Especially as I was like, this is my freshman year. No one knows who I am. I can make all these new friends and like, I'm much more confident now. And then just like, I, I just tried way too hard right. and, and all this stuff. So then I started to fall into that. I was going to do like, I had people that like I thought were super cool and I still think they're still my friends, but like, I was like, I'm just going to act like them. I'm just going to do what they do. Cause everybody likes them. And they were kind of, um, you know, that kind of like ribbing mean to each other. We're kind of jerks to each other. But if someone else does it, like we defend them and that kind of group of friends mm-hmm. where like that was them, they were kind of jerks. And in a way that like, I didn't mind, but I started to act like that. And I started to like be jerks with them and I got welcomed to that group. And so now I'm, you know, in the cool kid group again and I'm started starring and stuff and doing all this stuff. Before, so I'm thinking, were they like ball busters, kind of, but funny, but nice? Yeah, but, but I mean, more, more ball busters than like I said, they're still my friends, and they're great people. Like we've all evolved. Were we, you not like that before? No, I, I was very, especially like my freshman. I was very like not people pleaser. Once again, like okay. I want everyone to like me, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna be like super nice because I want everyone to like me. And then I saw these guys who were like kind of not like bullying each other but more just like we're gruff you never really know how we feel like we're a little bit withholding with our friendship and it was just like oh i want to do that Mm -hmm. i want to be a little bit withholding i want to say something that might be mean but might be nice it just depends on how well you know me i want to be cool i want to be a cool kid and so that's the thing is they were all i would say cool yeah not mean they were just like a little bit right not eager yeah it's like you know when the fawns like liked somebody that you were like it's su- he's super in because the Fonz is never open about his emotions. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. So then I started to act like that, but it wasn't me. I was just doing it because I wanted people to like me. And so one of the big moments, like defining moments, is I had this like sudden like panic attack mental breakdown that lasted all of like one day. <laughs> but where I was suddenly was like, I don't know anything about myself. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am. I don't know what is me and what is the me I'm trying to be f- so that these people like me. And I don't know. And so like from that point forward, I started to like really take stock of how I reacted to something. And so there and go, how do, mm, how do I really feel about this? And not, and not in a way that I ever have to tell anybody, but like in my heart, when someone goes, I like Dave Matthews band, like rather than go, Oh, you fucking idiot. Dave Matthews. Like, I'm in my head going to go, I also like Dave Matthews Band, and I don't need to pretend like I don't. And so that was kind of a big defining moment for me of, like, it's okay to, like, non-ironically love things. And it's okay to, like, know enough about yourself that you don't have to just agree with the people when they say, like, I don't like this thing. So then one of the other – so the probably the biggest defining moment to make me a nice person is my mom got uh, cancer when I was 20, I want to say. And it was melanoma, um, which everyone will say is like, oh, that's the most treatable. It's not scary at all. <laughs> um, and so she had it removed. It was very scary because it's yeah. my mom and I'm 20. And it's cancer. Yeah. And my mom was like, like, I love my dad. My dad is one of my favorite people in the world. But like my mom was like my rock, my go-to. Like mm. I called my mom for everything. And my mom knew the answer to every question. And my mom was like the end all be all like best person I knew. Like it always blew me away. Like I'd tell my mom like, Hey, in three weeks I need like, you know, a dozen cupcakes for a class thing. And then I'd forget about it. And then she'd roll up with like the dozen cupcakes. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, thank you for remembering the thing I casually mentioned three weeks ago. Um, so then she had it removed and we're like, oh, okay, great. And 
Then like six months later, she had a recurrence mm. and it spreads so quickly. And it like, um, so the thing about melanoma is it's not scary unless it gets into your lymph system mm-hmm. and then it can spread like wildfire. And so like she had just been out. She saw me uh, my junior year. She saw me do one of my favorite performances I've ever done in a show. Um, and like then the next month, like my dad called me and was like, hey, you need to, you need to come home and i was like well the semester ends in like four weeks and he was like i don't i don't think that'll be enough time. i think it was oh, actually God. longer than that i think that that was like i did the she came out in like october and in like april she was uh she was super super sick so like fortunately all my teachers were very very kind and let me skip finals mm-hmm. for that semester and we're just like yeah you pass go home so I got home and I was home for about two weeks and like basically spent the whole time in the hospital with my mom and then she passed away. Mm. Um, and right up until the time she passed away, like the moment when I got the call, I assumed everything would be fine, that it was really scary and that it seemed really bad, but that bad things don't really happen and like people don't really die and my mom was a good person and like we were good people and so like it would bad things didn't really happen to me right it would be fine and so then my mom died and something like it was just everything fell down and the thing i bring it up only because now it's 11 years 12 years past and the thing is my mom was a wonderful person and so i want to do the things that my mom would do and my mom would be nice so i do that and it's also just like that was a very much of like hey we've only got so much time on this earth and it's very very scary death still to this day it started when i was like four to now to present 28 years of straight terrified fear about death and so one of the things was like i could either be very self-centered and you know ozymandias look upon my works or i could use the time that i have and like really feel like i've accomplished something and like i'd rather have that be a very positive thing and so like that was a part of it and then i got into zen to try to like work through how because that was not immediately after my mom's death that I was like, you know what? Everything's great. Like my <laughs> senior year of college, I was just aimless. I was like, went back to school. I was going to drop out of college. And my dad was like, no, your mom doesn't want that. You know, Were you angry? I was so confused about life. Like I was angry, but I didn't know I was mm-hmm. angry at the time. I was just like, what? There's nothing constant. Like my mom's supposed to be here and she's not, and she never will be again. And that was the most, the permanence of death was so terrifying to me. And I was like, what, how am I even supposed to do anything now? Like, why should I care about school? Why should I care about getting a job? Cause then I'm going to die. And like everyone I love is going to die and we're all going to die. Why even do anything? Mm -hmm. And so I went back to school and I was getting my degree in acting. And like, I, 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 I don't know if it's just that like, I'm really good when I'm coasting or if my teachers were all very forgiving, but like I ended up still like passing everything and graduating. But when I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I, I'd, I'd given up on acting. I was just like, I don't have joy in anything anymore. And like, I was having a hard time, like maintaining relationships with people, Uh, friends, no problem, but like romantic relationships for whatever reason, I was just like, I was using people like to not feel lonely. And like, I, I had enough self-awareness to like know when I was doing it and then break up with them. Cause I was like, no, I'm, I'm using you and that's not right. And we have to break up. And so like I dated a lot of younger people, like I was dating freshmen and I was a senior because like I could use them mm-hmm. for a company and then break up with them and not feel bad about it. So I moved back home and I started working at Best Buy because I needed money. I needed to do something. And I was aimless. I was so aimless. And so 
this is going to get back to your previous question about me and Justin and Griffin and our relationship. And so the thing is, growing up, we were close. We were brothers. Um, but my older brother and I especially hit a point where like he was, I want to say like 14 and I was 11, where suddenly we just could not be in the same room with each other. And it's not like I hear people now tell me stories about how they fought with their siblings when they're growing up. And it's just like, oh, my God, like, how did you not kill each other? But for us, it was just like we would just scream at each other mm-hmm. and just like say, yeah, and maybe one out of 10, like if he's listening to this, he's going, it wasn't that bad. But like, once again, I had all these feelings in my head of like, everybody hates me and I'm an outcast and a, a tortured soul. And so like when there w- he would be like with his friends, he'd be like, I don't want Travis around when my friends are here. I'd be like, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what I think people think about me. And so we just kind of like drifted apart. And then like, it wasn't until I moved away for college that he was like, oh, I miss Travis. Like, he's gone and he's not here and I miss him. And so we started to grow back together. And so then when my mom passed away, the three of us especially, I mean, we became super close with dad too, but the three of us especially just became this, like, incredibly cohesive unit of just, like, the only way we're making it through this without Mm -hmm. some kind of, like, addiction or spiraling depression or horrible thing is that we're just going to lean on each other really, really hard and kind of form a pyramid. And we did. So we leaned on each other and kept each other from falling over. And so we just got real close. And so then I was working at Best Buy and I was so unhappy because I just wasn't doing anything with my life. And I talked to Justin. I was like, I kind of want to go back to school and get a degree in psychology. And Justin was like, okay, I'll pay for it because I didn't have any money. And so like he paid for a year of school for me. Um, and then, like, I finished that year, and I was like, okay, I don't want to do this either. This isn't my purpose. And so then um, Griffin was graduating college, and Griffin said – How much younger is he? He's three years younger than me. Justin's three years older. Um, and Griffin said, you know, I, I want to go out. I want to do something else, but I'm just kind of waiting for somebody to say to me, like, hey, I'm moving to blank. Come with me. And I had just gotten back from visiting my friend Sarah in Cincinnati and, like, seeing a bunch of shows at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, and I'd just fallen in love with the theater. And so I looked at Griffin. I was like, hey, I want to move to Cincinnati. I want you to move with me. And he was like, okay. And so we moved six months later um, and moved in together. And so when we were moving away, Justin was like, it makes me really sad because we had for like for the four years between that become so close and we're just hanging out every day. We did everything together. And he was like, it makes me really sad that you guys are leaving. And I think that we should do a podcast as an excuse to stay in touch with each other. Like that was our end goal was just Mm -hmm. like at least once a week, we'll talk to each other. And we developed the show around it and everything. But like they had done podcasting with the joystick podcast. So they were like, yeah, well, We'll podcast and that will be an excuse for us to talk to each other. And then for whatever reason, whether it's like our chemistry or whatever, people were like, oh, I, I love hearing you guys talk to each other. And I think you're very funny. And our audio quality was such shit in the <laughs> beginning. The idea that people listen to more than one episode was amazing to me. Because like I had a $10 headset microphone from Walmart and Griffin was using the microphone from the video game Rock Band. And we <laughs> sounded like garbage. And so then I moved to Cincinnati with like the sole goal of like, I'm going to work for the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. I had no job. And so, like, I I got there and I got a job at Sears and I got a job at PetSmart and I worked as a dog trainer for a while at PetSmart. And the whole time I was just 
going to Cincinnati Shakespeare shows and like shaking hands with them and saying, I want to work with you. And them going, we don't really need you. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but you will. And then their technical director quit very, very suddenly. And they were like, hey, you you worked in a shop. I was like, in college. Like dog trainer guy. Yeah, I, I worked in a shop in college and hadn't done it for like four years and I hadn't done it since. And they were like, will you come be our tech director? And I was like, yeah, but just know, like I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they were like, that's fine. We don't have anybody else. And I was like, okay, great. So then I kind of really learned on the job, which was very frustrating because I kind of always still had the idea of like, oh, I'm not good enough to be doing this. I have no idea what I'm doing. But so the podcast then continued um, getting more and more popular. And then I met my now wife. Um, and How did you meet? Uh, I was dating her roommate. <laughs> um, and her roommate and I broke up. And and then like six months later, uh, Teresa and I like ran into each other again at a bar and I thought she was still dating the guy she had been dating when I was dating her roommate. And so we kind of were talking that night and I was like, I really feel like she's flirting with me. And I got home and I told my little brother and he was like, oh no, she broke up with that guy. And I was like, what? Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. And like two weeks later we were dating and two months later we moved in with each other and we've been together ever since. And that was like, and it took that that relationship for me to be like, oh, I haven't had a real relationship before. I dated people um, for long periods of time, you know, a year, six months, that kind of thing. And it had never been a relationship until this because it was all about me in all the other relationships. And this was the first time that I was working really hard to make the other person happy and like try to keep their needs in mind. I was like, oh, this, this is what love is. Okay, mm -hmm. great, great, great. Which is why I'm such a fan of hers is like, I don't think she like took this rough ball of mud and turned it into a statue, but like she definitely kind of went like, Hey, you are great, but you know, you're great. So let's get better at like the places where you're not. So like worked really hard at that. So then my brother, my brother and me kept getting more and more popular and I feel very grateful for that. And so then that kind of led to, and then we had the miscarriage and, the rest of the story I told earlier, but mm -hmm. like that was all of that was kind of the leading up to just this feeling of like, Oh, this was my dream job. Every, every single thing was leading to this podcast and podcasting. And I had no idea. I didn't even know it was the thing. There was a time in college where I did a mock audition for in like one of the classes for a voiceover and I didn't prepare anything. And the teacher was like, why didn't you do the work? And I was like, Oh, I've got a weird voice. I'm never going to do voiceover work. No one's ever going to pay me to use my voice. It's terrible. And like, that's my like, you know, moment in like my biopic where she's like, they'll never love my voice teach. And then like, it was all leading to doing podcasting. And so it was all a very crazy, weird uh, thing to get to a thing that I didn't even know was a job. A question. Yes. Um, you said that you had the belief that nothing bad would really happen because mm -hmm. you're good people, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the unthinkable did happen. Mm -hmm. How did that affect your conception of how the world works and the universe and, and all of that stuff? Um, it affected it very powerfully because up till that point, like, so for example, like the National American, like I said, I didn't work in school, but suddenly I was offered a full ride scholarship with a stipend. And like that kind of thing was just like, oh, and that was like a big example. But little things like that just kind of always happened to me for the first 21 years of my life where it's just like all I saw was the good. And I'm sure there was bad stuff too, but like all I ever focused on was mm -hmm. like 
good things just happen to me. I'm just lucky, I guess. And then my mom passed away, and it was like for three years, all I could focus on was every bad thing that happened. And I, I don't think I was depressed. I don't think that I actually had anything wrong with it. But there was a, it was, I was suddenly esoteric and like in a way that I had never been before. And I was but actually you- thinking about shit. But there's a couple, there's different ways that one could then conceive of the universe. It yeah. could be like, the world is a veil of tears, mm-hmm. you know, or it could be that random shit happens, or it could be the bad, you know, the world is good and bad, and eventually everyone's going to experience bad. Like, did you, because when I have had things like that, I mean, not like that, but just things where I'm like, I was so sure it wasn't going to go south, and mm-hmm. then it did, it's like, I've been like, okay, I can't, like, fuck you you know yeah because i don't believe you know i don't believe in god so i use the word universe like and fuck you universe i don't have faith in you anymore mm-hmm. well yeah for um i would say for like three years i thought everything was pointless because like what what good because this was the thought i'd have anything that would happen in my life where it's just like uh, so like for example the year after my mom died my brother old brother got married to sydney his wife that he does sawbones with and mom wasn't there yeah and so it was like that kind of feeling of like who can like someday i'll die and then i just won't be there anymore and like what what the fuck is like the there's point no meaning yeah anymore. like what okay today i went out and painted a painting great and then i'll die and so like that was kind of my like i remember very like for like the three or four months the summer after my mom died where like i'd be driving her i used to drive around all the time where like i would start to get really stressed or i'd start to get really and i'd just go out and drive around and i was driving around like the hills of west virginia and i i i wasn't i want to clarify wasn't at all suicidal but i would have the thought of like you know i could just like turn left instead of right and drive off the hill and i wouldn't have to like because like i'll die someday Mm -hmm. and like then i then i would immediately snap out of it and be like that's a weird thought to have everything's fine your mom wouldn't want you to think that way but like no but i know what you mean where you just can't engage in the minutia of daily life. exactly like i just didn't care and so like even when i went back to school like eventually brent ended up like brent and my friend sarah had ended up having a little bit of an intervention for me because they were like hey you keep like making these really dark jokes about being the kid whose mom died and we we want to support you and we want to be there for you but you either have to like engage with us in an honest level or you need to cut that shit out cuz you're <laughs> bumming everyone out and that was the thing i was just like feeling so dark and so along with a lot of other things uh around about 24 i really got into like zen and zen meditation and thinking about things in a very zen way and one of the first kind of lessons that really latched on to me was this idea um and there's a very hard thing to convey without someone making an example that makes it even harder to believe but the idea that there's no event that's inherently good or bad it's how we react to it that makes it such and the example that was used in the book i was reading uh which is called zen and the art of happiness if anyone wants to check it out uh is they talk about when you go to a sporting event half the crowd is going to leave sad and half the crowd is going to leave happy, but they both observe the same thing. It's just they're reacting to it differently. And so there are, of course, bad things in the world because we treat them as such. But the idea is like, it's not like you have to find the silver lining in anything, but just know that how you react to it makes it the way that it is. And does death fall into that category? It's the hardest one for me. I still to this day, I was driving here listening to your podcast and you were talking, I think it was with Rory Scoville where you guys were talking about, and then you'll die. And I was just like, and like when someone references death, I suddenly will just have like this 
tightness in my chest and my stomach will drop out because I'm so terrified of dying because it's so permanent. Mm -hmm. I think that was the number one thing to come out of my mom's death is like it became so the idea, the concept of death became so solidified for me as like it's permanent. And like knowing that and like when my wife and I got married, my mom wasn't there. When my little brother got married, my mom wasn't there. My mom will never come to my brother, my brother and me live show and cheer for us. Like that kind of thing of knowing that and then inevitably kind of projecting it onto myself Mm. is like, oh God, it like, and that, and that's the thing is like, it's so hard when uh, to be self-centered and think about death is like it really just is a recursive scary cycle because it's like when i die i won't be here anymore and i I, what will i do how can i do um and so it like kind of my own thing is to think about my wife in that circumstance or think about my brothers or think about anything other than myself and know that like because i try to tell myself that like the thing that's kind of my self you know like lesson out of my mom's death is to know i'm gonna start crying is to know that like every day i have the option to make decisions based on what my mom would want me to do and what her influence was in my life so when i die the people i leave behind will have the same thoughts about me and then i will influence their lives and then they will influence other people's lives and that will never stop being the case so even though I won't be there, I will still be able to impact the world in a positive way even after I'm dead. Yeah. So like that's kind of that, – that can usually pull me out of the tailspin of like I'm not going to sleep for three days because I'm just going to think about dying. <laughs> um, it still doesn't make death not scary for me, but it definitely takes the edge off in that, in that circumstance. Right, right, because that is the legacy and that is how we yeah. – how we, uh live longer than just our biological age yeah is but the way I mean, we affect people it's also like but the idea of being dead is a real bummer you know <laughs> like it just is like well i didn't want to i mean since you were kind of coming out on the other side i didn't want to go back to this but i but now i am going to it can when you really think about it why the fuck do we get up and take showers right? and ride a bike that doesn't go anywhere and do anything when one day we're going to die? Like, but it doesn't the other make side sense of that, Here's the thing, though. Here's the other side of that, because I've thought about that a lot. And I think that there is a positive line of thought in that track, which is, why do we worry about our weight? Why, why do we worry about, you know, oh, I can't stay up too late. I'll be tired the next morning. Why do we worry about what other people think about us? Why do we worry about, you know, how much money we're going to save? Why right. Do we, These but things like, that seem like minutiae. That are completely material. Like when I hear people like, I'd love to have another piece of cake, but I can't be like, fuck, someday you'll be dead. Eat that <laughs> damn cake. Like have the now, have the now. Because there Oh, I is, thought you were going to explain why it is good that we worry about all these things. No. Okay. It's like there are things to worry about. Jeff, get me some cake. Right. Like, but that's the thing, like. Someday you'll die. Yeah. And no and no one's going to be worried about your weight anymore. They're going to be worried about how happy you were. They're going to tell stories about the time that you laughed and the time that you were silly and the time that you make them happy. And they're not going to be like, and this one time she ate a second piece of cake. Can you fucking <laughs> believe it? And so like that is very freeing. That right. That is the one line of thought with death that's very freeing to me, which is like all of that stuff that like nobody likes you. And like no one really wants to be your friend. One just isn't true. I have lots of wonderful friends and my wife loves me very much no matter what. So do my brothers. But like that idea of like so worried about what other people think of me, someday I'll be dead Mm -hmm. and it won't fucking matter. But what matters now is like if I want to like suddenly up and take a day trip to Joshua Tree, I'm going to fucking do it because someday I'll be dead. Right. You're never you only get one chance to do each day. Yeah. 
So like, why worry about what you're supposed to do? Now, I'm not saying like go out and loot and murder somebody or something, <laughs> but like, right. if you want to do a thing, like the idea of like, oh, I'd love to go see a movie tonight, but I can't because I need to be responsible. Like, you don't mm-hmm. go see that movie. Um, but so like, there are there are definite positive lessons that I've learned out of thinking about death as much as I do. But that said, it's it's still my that's my biggest mm. hang up thing. Have you gone to therapy? No. Really? Even though yeah. you were studying to be a therapist. It's it, it's <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, and the reason is because as I was studying to be a therapist, like I I I I for me, I've stigmatized it way too much in my mind. Is like How so? There was a long long time where before I was thinking about a career in therapy, I was like, oh, well, you go to therapy because you're crazy. Like people who go to therapy, there's something wrong with them. And then I started to find out that all of these people that I knew in my life and loved and respected very much went to therapy. And I was like, oh, this is a thing that like normal people Mm -hmm. do. I thought therapy, but like by that point, it's also really hard for me to, one, do things I've never done before. It's very scary. I have gone to therapy in like working with people about ADD, but never like for narcissism and depression and that kind of thing. But or grief or grief, yeah, that was that was a big one. That if I could do it all over again, I so would have. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty well past it now at this point. But like for the first four years, I didn't know how poorly I was dealing with it. Right. I thought I was dealing with it really well because I was denying all <laughs> sense of feeling whatsoever and yeah. really shutting everything down. And if I could go back in time to that, Travis, I would have like hey, dog, you're not, like, embracing this at all. You need to talk to someone because you're lying to yourself, too. But so I just – it was also hard to admit that something – that I need someone's help with something with something like that because I'm a problem solver and I want to be able to fix my own shit. And, like, I know enough about psychology to be dangerous to my own psyche because (laughs) I'm like, I know it. I can fix it. I don't need someone else's Uh, help. Yeah, that's absolutely not how it works. (sighs) No, not at all. Because, like, even just talking to friends and family, not even, like, trained professionals is like, oh – I, I just felt this thing lift off of my chest that I didn't know. Or I said a thing that I didn't know was true till I said it. It's like, yeah, I need to fucking talk to somebody. Um, so, yeah, it's a thing that I, I, I'm kind of constantly, someday when I have way better health insurance, I'm definitely going to go to therapy. <laughs> well, let's take some questions that uh, people sent in on Twitter. But first, I want to say... If you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show. Thank you guys so much for all of your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support, PayPal links on the right side of my website, alisonrosen.com. Also, you need a t-shirt and we have those. alisonrosen.com. Just click on the store and you'll see the t-shirts. Okay, let's do questions people sent in on Twitter. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans Okay, Michael Krusen says Was the unless bit ever discussed outside the podcast Or did it just happen? Um, so that is a bit that we do on My Brother, My Brother, and Me Where like we'll be answering a question, we'll be like halfway through answering it, and one of us will say unless, and the <laughs> other two will echo unless, and then usually it signals like we're about to take a hard U-turn into a much weirder uh, answer. And no, not really. Like most of our recurring bits have just been like we did it once and we thought it was really funny, and then we just kind of kept doing it. But I, I, I think that 
speaking for myself, like the idea of discussing a bit too much is like, well, now it's not funny anymore because we're right. doing it on purpose. And we've actually dropped a lot of bits over the year. We've done 302 episodes now. We're like, we'll do a bit every episode for 15 episodes in a row and then it's just like it just starts to not be funny anymore so we stop doing it because mm. like i don't want to get tied into a thing so no we've never discussed it outside of the show aim says is he still involved in local theater i am not um i still i still love the concept of theater um but the uh, for two very good reasons like i said i got burned out like i was doing you know, hundred hour work week sometimes. And I was also super responsible for a lot of stuff and it's, it was exhausting, but also just like, I found that doing live shows, that was the kind of like, Oh yeah. Like th- that's the attention I want where I don't have to learn lines and memorize blocking. And if I don't pick up the glass I was supposed to pick up, it doesn't ruin the show. And, but people still clap for me and laugh at the things I say. So right. no, I haven't done any theater since I moved out here, but I hopefully someday we'll get back into it. Okay, Quentin has a question that I also am very curious about. What was it like finding out you had a line in Hamilton? Oh God, it was. And it, what is the line? Okay, it's unless is like they they do the unless unless bit where you can hear it in the um oh so it's when they're talking and they're uh, accusing Alexander of uh you know uh, of not laundering what's the word i'm looking for uh embezzling money in state funds and he says um hey if i could prove to you i never broke the law but he prefaces it by saying unless and they answer back unless and it was like (laughs) oh shit and so we went and saw it off broadway um and lynn before the show was like hey just so you guys know there's a my brother my brother me a reference in there let me know if you catch it we we're like okay and then they did that and we were like oh shit <laughs> uh so it's very exciting but it's weird because like we became friends with lynn before him i mean he'd already won one tony i guess but like he was a tony award winner for in the heights but it was before hamilton right. was out and so like How i did you become friends with him he was a fan of my brother my brother and me and like he reached out to us and like we went and hung out with him and we're like oh he's a really great dude so like i know him as like lynn my friend <laughs> and then the world knows him as like lynn this you phenomenon know, phenomenon musical genius so when i found out there, there was my brother all i could think is like that was really sweet of my friend lynn that was nice of him to plug into there that was great and then everyone else was like what oh my god i was like I, oh yeah no it's huge he's great but i just thought it was a sweet gesture that my yeah. friend lynn was doing we talk about him on our show too <laughs> not quite the same i guess but flattering i guess is the short answer how many times have you seen hamilton uh we saw it off broadway and then we saw it uh once it moved to broadway mm-hmm. so we've seen it twice now i have not seen it yet um i mean you and probably most of the world it's really hard to right. get to see um we were very lucky that the first time off Broadway, we were able to get tickets, um, and then we bought our tickets to see it on Broadway the day they went on sale, like for ten months in advance. Like we bought them in like March, saying we're going to go in October, right. and we didn't have any other plans. It wasn't like, oh yeah, we'll be in time. Like we planned a whole vacation around like I on feel October twenty like fifth. What we'll you be have there. to do. Oh, yeah. it seems like a lot of people I know who don't live in New York who have seen it made a trip out of it. Oh yeah, and I hear people say like. I might try to get tickets while I'm there. I'm like, no, you won't. Right. Unless you want to pay like $8,000 for a ticket or something from a reseller. We actually, yeah, we, well, I think we knew there was no way in hell we were actually going to be able to get them unless we were willing to spend thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, but if you, if you get the chance, 
not only does it live up to the hype, it surpasses the hype. It's one of the greatest things. And, I, and I'm a musical theater snob from way back. Like mm-hmm. I said, I've been seeing theater since I was five. I've been in theater since I was seven. And I think it redefines what musical theater can be. Holly Noel says, how exactly does it feel to be verified by Twitter? It feels so good. Um, did you campaign to get verified? So hard. How for, did like, it go two years. for you? So both of my brothers are verified. Uh, because of oh, that their is journalism. your worst fear. Yes, Allison, <laughs> it very much is. And so then I just started to be plagued by people going, "How come they're verified and you're not?" And I was like, "Because I'm not a journalist, and they're journalists, and they got verified." You point on shut up. <laughs> and so I, I went down so many avenues and i had you know like uh, the people we partner with at youtube and i had like max fun was working on it and i had like our agent was working on it and like all of these people and every so often someone would be like i know someone at twitter and i'd be like yes please great and then it completely came out of nowhere i didn't even get an email i didn't get a heads up like i was in the middle of recording an episode of trends like these and i got a notification that someone had tweeted at me like congratulations on your verification i was like what what? Uh, uh, okay. And like, I, I was blown away. It feels great. Um, mostly because, I, and a lot of people were like, why are you so concerned? It's just a blue check mark. Well, if you're a content creator, and it, it's very validating, not just for you, but for the world. Mm-hmm. And I can say just in like the month or less that I've had it, my interaction with other content creators that I want to collaborate with and have on my show has like, upped dramatically because when you message them when you like tweet at them and they see that little blue check mark or they're filtering just verified responses only and you pop up they will take a second look to say like well who is this guy he's verified who's what's his deal and maybe that's all it takes for them to be like sure i'll come on your show and so like for me it was not just like it would look really nice next to my name. It was like, it will help me mm-hmm. get guests on my show. It will help me get the word out about my show. And so it feels very good. I'm still worried that it's going to disappear out of nowhere because I have no <laughs> I idea how I got it. I don't think that can happen. I hope not. It can actually happen if you change your right. your, your name, your handle. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Let's do just me or everyone but first this is an opportunity to plug something see i used to do all my plugs at the end uh-huh. but well, then been, people tune out i've been mixing it up mm-hmm. if you like what you're hearing subscribe itunes.com slash allison rosen follow me on twitter at allison rosen follow the show's twitter feed at a-r-i-y-n-b-f i'm on snapchat allison rosen bff um travis where should everyone go for you um you can find me on twitter i'm the real travis McElroy. um i'm at travis McElroy. Um, you can also go to McElroyShows.com, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y, Shows.com, and all of our shows, even the ones I'm not in, including like our YouTube stuff, is uh, on there. And uh, you can also just go to MaximumFun.org, and we have a ton of shows there. Jeff? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter, Unverified, at <laughs> Colonel Jeff Fox. Someday, Jeff. You'll get there. That'll always be the dream. Okay feels so unnatural to be doing this before just mirror everyone. It's very weird. It is strange. Gonna keep the fans guessing. <laughs> it's like doing The Stranger with your plugs. Okay, for anyone who knows what that is. Um, oh, we have a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay. Keith Hepworth says i moved the last few eggs to the middle of the carton so it's not unbalanced for the next person who grabs it don't want any spills i totally do that definitely 
I do that 100%. I do that for myself. Yeah, I, me too. I have done it where I used to take them all from one side, and I once picked it up and dumped it and lost about eight eggs. Oh, God. That's... I, there's nothing like dropping an egg on the ground that makes you just like freeze in place looking down at the egg where you're just like, yeah. <laughs> it just so feels like the most like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's my day now. Ooh, here's the follow up, JMO. Do you do it from the outside towards the middle or the middle towards the outside? I go middle towards the outside because I then it's like the, I counterbalance really? it mm-hmm, mm. just lately. But then if there's only a few left, I'll move them in. Interesting. I usually just do um, like when it starts to get unbalanced, I just line them up down one side. Oh, and interesting. Then, yeah. But that's also just because I like things in a line. But then it doesn't it kind of like tip a little bit? It's yeah, then tippy. I just throw it away and get a new card. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay. not true. I just throw away the other six, you know what right. I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do ends, sure. ends towards the middle. But see, I think I I think I did middle towards the end once. See, I usually uh, literally I actually start like on one side, you know, and take eggs away. And when I get mm-hmm. halfway through, I think I just kind of resort them back to the middle. Yeah, just see, so when like I the center weight, I'll take if I'm using two eggs, I'll take one from each end. Ooh, see, Smart. I bake a lot, so I really I fly through my eggs yeah. pretty quickly. So usually I use them all up in like three days, anyways, because I bake all the what time. What kind of stuff do you bake? Um, I mean, anything. I used to just do desserts, and then I have branched out recently into like uh, hand-formed bread and that kind of thing. Look at you. Yeah. Why don't you have a baking podcast yet? It's, it's kind of hard to convey. Like, I And guess. now I'm stirring. <laughs> it has to kind of be a video element. I think the important thing is that there's no wrong answer in egg OCD usage. It's correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> just want to make that clear. Cliff Phoenix says... Poop smell in a bathroom is much more disgusting if I know who was just in there and did the deed. Um, it's just it doesn't bother me. In je- like, hey, I'm I'm a grown ass adult man and everyone poops. Like it's I don't I don't it doesn't bother me anymore. If I walk into a bathroom and someone's just pooped in there, like whatever, I'm gonna suddenly have a realization that they pooped. Would you rather though it be an anonymous stench awareness or a personal one? Where you're like, oh yeah, that was that was Mimi's fart. I think I'd rather know the person because then at least I'm like, I I trust that even though it smells bad, it's theirs as <laughs> opposed to like a stranger. So ooh, right. that's so mysterious and scary. <laughs> Who knows what their poop was? Uh, okay. Another bathroom related one. Bruised by Dawn says, I no longer lock the bathroom door on the off chance of delaying aid in a medical emergency. Um, I don't do that one specifically, but I do recall when my family changed their policy on whether, cause I have very overprotective, mm-hmm. um, fear, like anxiety prone parents. So growing up, it was always like, lock the doors, lock the doors. You know, at all times, lock the doors when you're oh, in the wait, car. Oh, all the doors? Are just, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. In, did I, I didn't say in the car. Okay. No, I, actually, actually all doors, yes, but specifically in the car. Lock the doors. Um, and then I remember one day we were driving down the freeway, going fast enough that an unlocked door, no one could get in. But I was like, hey, the doors are unlocked. What's going on? And then I learned that they changed my door. I assume it was my dad changed his mind about it and now he feels it's safer to be driving with the doors unlocked because then in an emergency people can get you out okay (laughs) I don't know know how much of an effect it actually has but sure you know so much of that is like security theater and safety stuff like if if that makes you feel safer go for it you know what I mean like my wife hates driving on the LA freeway so like I do most of the driving and she puts on like a sleep mask so she doesn't have to see the car's brake lights. And it's, we're still in the same situation, but she doesn't have to see it. So oh it doesn't affect God. it the same way. That 
that would be my nightmare. I remember as a child. (laughs) No, but I remember as a kid being in like, anytime I was in a school bus situation, being anytime I was in the back far away from where the driver was, just beginning to feel like, what if the person falls asleep? What if the person loses control? What if this, I still, um, we were just in France. Sorry to drop a country oh, name. Ooh, ooh we, la la. Yeah, we took this little tour that that um, involved traveling to Giverny in a minivan, and I we ha- I had to sit in the first row because mm-hmm. like I, I felt like I'd be very uncomfortable. I do in the, the back. same thing if okay. I'm not driving. Like I I have to be like in the passenger yeah, seat. I have to essentially be driving even if I'm not driving. It's very awful for everyone. But I think to this person's question, I I I do leave our our doors unlocked, but not because of worries about medical attention but mostly just because it reached a point with my wife and i where it's just like hey if i'm in bathroom don't come in <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like i she's usually the only one there and like uh, i'm the type of person that will absentmindedly lock the door and then do what i need to do and then forget that i've locked the door and try to open the door and it's just that moment of like click okay and so yeah. like i just try to avoid that moment of frustration now right um I have, I try to avoid the moment of frustration of, oh, I have to even open this door. So that's why, therefore, I just leave them open. (laughs) And I know it's not the best way to go. Hey, but if that's the relationship you have with the other people in your house. That's the one I have. Yeah. That's not the one that they have. It's not the one they want. (laughs) (laughs) B. Slammon says, I loathe seeds in my teeth so much that if I eat a raspberry, I mush it to the roof of my mouth and swallow rather than chew it. I don't do that, but I do. I'll give a raspberry a second thought. Like, do I want to deal with that? Mm-hmm. Strawberries, strawberry seeds are an, an issue as well. Sometimes, at least according to Pretty Woman, seeds don't bother me that much. But the kind of like anything stringy, celery, so, yeah. So like celery or like a little like string of like meat, you know, mm, gristle. Yes. Like I, I don't care how rude it is. I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to someone and I'll stop what I'm doing to like reach in my mouth, pull it out because it just, it will just. Terrorize me until I remove that thing yeah. from my mouth. But seeds don't really bother me all that much, I don't think. But yeah. I also just don't eat fruit. So you don't eat fruit at all? Well, no, I do. Oh, I just don't eat it enough that I'm worried about the seeds. Gotcha. Yeah, I I find seeds vexing, but I don't I don't need, feel the need to work around them. <laughs> that is a workaround. Yeah. It's, a, it's a raspberry hack. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a raspberry life hack. <laughs> Jmos for a rose says. Check the airline site daily to see if a better seat opened up for my flight, no matter how far in advance it is. Yes, I go to Seat Guru all the time. I don't know that I check it daily, but I'm always convinced there's a better seat everywhere in every situation. I I don't do this only because once I've completed a thing, I'm so happy to have marked it off my list that I don't check in again. So like, I you must have this is that's a real Zen kind of thing to do. Yeah, it's done. Like I love to do lists for that reason, and like especially I really got into them when I was working at the theater, and I'd have like. A thousand things in a day I had to do. But if I mark something off my list, I'm not coming back to it. Mm. It's done. So like when I book my flight and I get the ticket, I'm it's dead to me until it's time to like check in for my flight and get on it. I don't think about it again. It's done. I've got enough other things to worry about. And when you check in, you're not tempted by that change seats. I mean, sometimes, but like once I, I'm not really good at making quick decisions, but like once I make a decision, it's done. So like if I'm like looking at the seat, I will sit there and stare at the seat chart forever. It's it's better now that I have like another person. I'm usually traveling with my wife and I can be like, please just 
pick two seats because I'll sit there and be like, well, these are over the wing, but these are closer to the bathroom. Yeah, but then we're closer to the bathroom. It's good for us, but then other people will but And like, I'll just sit there and run through all the factors where it's like, just pick two. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, 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 those two. Who cares? It's seats, we'll get there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know what constitutes a bad seat. When I, a middle seat? Middle seat. It's well, a, middle a middle seat. A middle, clearly. If I get a middle seat, yes, nobody wants a middle seat. They should just throw them out. Nobody wants them. But other than that, I'll just decide before a flight, well, if I think I'm going to sleep, I'll take a window. Otherwise, I'll take an aisle. But other than that, I've looked at that and be like, is the front better? Because then you get off first, but then you get on last yeah. or vice versa. And so, I don't really and care I, about front or back. Occasionally, though, they'll be like, this seat doesn't recline. So mm-hmm. that's a shitty seat. Or no power, which I see, too, especially if it's like a six-hour flight. And it's like, there's no outlet on the seat. And like. Okay, well, oh, really? that doesn't work for me. That I will say, we just did an episode of Bunker Buddies about surviving a plane crash. Oh, and one of the things that we learned was um, the the current like how to survive a plane crash based on sitting. It used to be like the last twelve, but n- now it's get a seat within five rows of an emergency exit because the farther you are away from the emergency exit. You really only have once a plane crash, some like 90 seconds to like get off the plane before it's so engulfed in flames and smoke that it's unsafe. Hey, everybody, welcome to this comedy podcast. <laughs> and so you actually want an aisle seat within five rows of an emergency exit. Even then, it's not guaranteed you will get off the plane before it's engulfed in flames. But like, that's actually where you want as far as safety is concerned. How many people survive plane crashes? A lot more than you think. Really? It's, it's like an 85 to 90% survival rate. Really? Um, the problem is, is that it's the comforting. plane crashes are actually very survivable. It's that people, after the crash, they kind of go in uh, what's called, oh, what is it called? Negative shock, where like they suddenly become like a, whoo, wow, everything's fine now. We, we're on the ground or the crash is over and they just sit there and they don't get off the plane. So actually a lot of fatalities in plane crashes are caused by like smoke inhalation. By dumb shits? Yeah, by people not getting off a plane that's on fire because like they're like everything's they're fine now because the crash is over. Right. We're not crashing anymore. And so people that die in plane crashes usually either die in the impact or they die like because they didn't get off the damn plane. Yeah, and there was a fear response where people just shut down and don't exactly. move. Yeah. So Why? there are, there are a lot of fires like the London uh subway fire a few years back, which is probably 20 years back at this point, but where people don't freak out, they're the ones that die. The mm-hmm. people that go, "Oh my god," and run for the exit, they're the ones that survive, but everybody else just kind of sits there or goes about their daily life and winds up dying. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Why is that not what they tell you when they give you the whole litany of here's what you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, they don't want you should not stay calm. Yeah. yeah. If there's a plane crash. Get should, the fuck out. The thing is, if you can and panic and move in an orderly fashion, like that's <laughs> that's the perfect scenario. Organized panic. Because you don't want to like trample people, but also the idea of like, well, I guess it's time to get off the plane. It's right. like, no, you got to get the hell Right, off. but trampling, apparently studies have been done and trampling is just not a problem. Really? Yeah, that's it's just not the issue when there's big uh calamities. Yeah, fires in buildings and plane crashes. It's people not trampling that is why they, they find yeah, a there's, lot. There's not like a three stooges log jam at the door. It's when just, they're doing, everybody's just standing there looking when at the they're flames. doing like the uh recovery and they're going through like a burned out house of a plane, they find people like still seat buckled in to their seat. Like just because they just sat there and passed out from smoke inhalation and got burned up and died. So like if you're in a plane crash, get off the damn plane. Freak out. Yeah. I am doing that already. <laughs> and I'm not even on a plane right now. You're, you're practicing. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, okay. Lastly, L to the aura says when running, never know whether to smile at, make eye contact with wave to, or hurry past others outside. Yes. 1000%. Be okay. I, I'm, I'm a big burly bearded man. Um, and when I'm walking my dog, especially women, I'm so like, I don't want to make eye contact with people. I don't want people to think I'm creepy. I don't, but I also don't want to just keep my head pointed down. I don't want to, I, I think it's one of the things that like, I think about way too much in the world is like, and I don't have a problem with eye contact, like at a party right. or a convention, but just like passing someone on the street, especially if they have like a kid with them, or if it's like a, a woman between the ages of like 16 and 30, I just become so self-conscious that they're going to think I'm creepy that I start to worry about like, well, if I stare at them, it's a problem. But if I don't look at them, it's a problem. Yeah. Jeff? This is exactly why I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too filled with consternation about what to do in these situations, so I just avoid the problem entirely by not running. Same. <laughs> Perfect. We should ask Jenna. Jenna, who's on my the Thursday version of my podcast, has uh, been taking up running. Oh, she runs on a track, though. I feel like you can just avoid ever having to make eye contact yeah. that way. Yeah, and she's she's blonde and cute and ever, ever effervescent. She's, right. So she's not a burly bearded man like myself. No. Okay. As of as of right now, as of this recording, no, not yet. Okay. Yes. Um, Travis, it was delightful. Thank you. Delightful having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of whatever you were doing today. What were you doing today? Um, I was driving around LA getting stuck in traffic. Um, fr- Friday is usually my light day because I've already put out uh, all of my podcasts. Mm-hmm. Take the weekends off. Well, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. It was absolutely lovely. I thought it was like lo- it was lovely. It was touching. Thank you. I teared up at more than one time. Thank you. I did too. I know. I that's, know. that's what made I me. I cry a lot. I am a real crier. Really? Well, yeah. you didn't. You, no, I didn't get a full on cry from you then. No, I, I held it back. I, I, I pushed. I pushed all those feelings down. Followed them right up. Good. That that's good to hear. Listeners, we also have ringtones available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. And also, touch the tushy, touch, touch You can get all this on my website, the store, also iTunes, a bonus episodes available. It's all on Gumroad. My, my stuff's everywhere, so just go find it. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 